You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. That we just heard this morning, Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7, is where we're going to be. And we're going to go through this classic Christmas text and just behold the glory and joy of Jesus. Now, you, you just heard it, and you may have heard it a lot. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and he will be called Mighty God, and he will be called Everlasting Father and, and Prince of Peace. This is, probably, I mean, this is a classic Christmas text for a good reason. Every year this passage comes up. But before we dive into the sermon, I, I just feel like I need to confess something to you. Um, and I, I hope you don't think anything less of me as, as we go forward. I know this is a great gospel-centered church. Knowing your pastors, I know I can walk in the light this morning. It's Christmas, the last week of Christmas, and I need to get this off my chest before we dive into this, this text. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. Should I leave? Am I done? It's over. It's um, okay, thank you, brother. I, I've never seen it. I don't know how that happened. It's, I just kind of lived my life, and I realized I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. People love this movie, and clearly, I'm missing out on this classic story, this classic Christmas movie, heartwarming, and I've never seen it. I'm going to change that this week, I promise you. I'm going to watch it this week. But this morning, church, I wonder if some of us, we've heard these classic words of Isaiah 9 probably more times than we've seen It's a Wonderful Life. And maybe it's just becoming routine. Maybe as you heard the passage being read this morning, you thought, here it is again. Yeah, I've heard these things, I've heard these things. And it just kind of plays in the background of your heart. But I think on the other side, there might be some of us here this morning that that might be the first time you heard the classic Christmas text. That it might be the first time you've heard about a child who's going to be born, that little ball of baby fat, and it's going to be called Wonderful Counselor and mighty God, an everlasting Father. Well, what does that mean? And that's what we want to dive into this morning, to discover the joy that Jesus brings and to find how Jesus truly is enjoyable, wonderful, mighty, incredible. So I hope we have a fresh encounter with the joy that is Jesus this morning. Because we have a great need for joy. And that's where the prophet Isaiah takes us. So let's look at verse 1. And we're going to get a little context of what's going on and, and why there is such a great need for joy. So Isaiah 9.1, let's listen to what he says. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. Okay, what, what's going on in this former time? Well, let's get a little context before we can really dive in. At this point, when Isaiah is preaching to the nation of Israel, the nation is in shambles. They are in deep darkness. They are in gloom. They are lost, and they are distressed. Here's why. They're not obeying God. They're not walking under his word. They are, they are under constant threat of them being invaded, of them coming, nations coming all around them and taking them over and taking them into slavery. And at this point, they don't even know where to look for help. They don't have bright ideas. If you have a, a Bible, you can skip up just a little to verse 19 of chapter 8, and listen to what they say. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. They say, we need help. Here's what we're going to do. Let's inquire of the, neat, the mediums and the necromancers. That's a word we don't use very often. 
what they're saying is, you know what, we need help. I know. Let's go find the tarot card readers. Let's go down and make an appointment with the fortune teller. Why do they need appointments? I don't understand why. Let's go to the witches and warlocks and let's get some counsel. But listen to what Isaiah says to them in verse 20. No, go to the teaching and go to the testimony. So Isaiah's telling them, brothers and sisters, we have to go to God's word in the midst of our deep darkness. And then verse 22 of chapter 8 says they're totally lost, wandering in deep darkness. And listen, I, I know, I know some of us have come in here today and we feel like we're wandering in darkness. Our lives are in distress. We're just trying to get our bearings. We barely even made it to church on time. And hasn't this year, this year has been unlike any other. A pandemic, the turmoil, the tragedies we see around the world, the isolation, the quarantine, the national unrest, our feeling alone and wondering if anyone notices we're not around, we're confused. 2020 has been a constant wandering in darkness and wondering what is next. We, we need joy. And God has a word for us, and it's in 9-1, the very first word of 9-1. I love this word. But this is the second best three-letter word in the Bible. The first best three-letter word is God. Second best is but, because but is a pivot word. Everything's dark. Everything's gloomy. Everything's tough. But God has something for them. And beloved, this means that God has something for us. God has something for you this morning. And this is the simple message of Christmas and of Christianity, that God has something for you. That even though right now we may be wandering in darkness, and maybe we have totally mismanaged our lives, and maybe you've gone to tarot card readers, maybe you've looked into horoscopes, maybe you've spent more time perusing Google for counsel than God's Word. Maybe we sit in the rubble of our decisions this morning, and we're just trying to make it through 2020. But there is a plot twist coming. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, so who lived in this gloomy distress, now look, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, it's just everywhere, on them has light shone. Here's what we got to admit about darkness this morning. Darkness can be scary. I am not manly enough to lie. Darkness is a little freaky. So when my seven-year-old son, when I'm putting him to bed, and he says, can we leave my closet light on? I don't tell him, be a man, son. You're laying in the dark. No, I, I say, absolutely, you can have the light on. You know why? Darkness is uncertain. You don't know what's out there. And we all believe this to this day. And real quick, just uh, we can show this. Does anyone have motion lights on their house? Does anybody live in a neighborhood with street lights? You know what all of these things are? They are adult nightlights. <laughs> because we all know the darkness is scary. And we want to see what's out there. It's disorienting. It's, it's troubling. It's anxiety raising. And that's why Isaiah comforts the people saying, a light is shining. 
You don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to worry. You're not lost. A light is coming that brings joy that you can enjoy at Advent, at Christmas. And look at the joy level rising in verse 3. Just, just look at verse 3. Isaiah says about the Lord, you have multiplied the nation. And here it is. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, we don't ever do this. I don't know if that's, you all have harvest times in, in Midlothian that we go and gather and just imagine Christmas morning and just the spoil of presents, all these things and the, and the joy that's there. Isaiah says, this is what this light, this Christ light is now doing, increasing joy. Four times in one verse, joy rising, glad, joy, rejoicing, joy. So from darkness and gloom, to four, mag, four times magnification rejoicing from this light. Now, you might remember the GDP from economics in high school and college, the gross domestic product of a nation, the things that they produce and the goods and services and the exports and imports and all, all these kinds of things. But you know what's more important than GDP? Is the GDJ, the gross domestic joy of a nation, of a people. That's why he says, you've, in, you've increased the nation, you've increased their joy. The main export, one of the main exports from heaven, from God's heart to us, is joy. God is in the business of delivering joy to a deep and dark and distressed and gloomy place. And it comes in the bright light of the Messiah. And he can increase your joy. Is your joy increased? Do you find Jesus to be enjoyable? How can we have at Advent, I don't want any of us to have a joy at Advent that then kind of just tapers off when January 2nd rolls around. How can we have an Advent joy that's actually advantageous to us past Christmas? Beloved, I really think when we begin to see what happened in the manger and what happens on another piece of borrowed timber on Easter weekend, and then when we see what happened in an empty garden tomb with the fact that there isn't a pile of bone dust somewhere in Jerusalem, that our joy will ever be increasing and ever be rising because he lives and because we've been forgiven and because we've been saved, your joy can rise more and more. And what God doesn't want for any of us is for our joy at conversion to skyrocket and then taper off and taper off to where our joy almost flatlines. No, he wants to increase it. How? Verse 4. Verse 4 is how this joy gets increased. Look, for the yoke of his burden... So burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. So all these things that are oppressing Israel, God says, I'm getting rid of it. I, Isaiah can look into the future and he can see freedom. He can see enemies defeated. He can see what we sing, that all oppression shall cease. And he can see a thrill of hope. And he can see a weary world rejoicing 
And he can see that from yonder. You know where yonder is? There's got to be a yonder Texas somewhere. Where, where yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. And Isaiah can see, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can see people falling on their knees from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. And he can hear the cries out, just like the Apostle John heard, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Because what he did, and it's in verse 5. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is one of my favorite Christmas verses of all time. I want to encourage you, make it a little Stonegate thing, put this on your Christmas card next year. And you're going to send it out to people and they're going to go, verse 5. They meant 6. That's a typo. And when they text you and say, hey, you put the wrong verse, and you'll say, no, I didn't. You know what's going on in verse 5? For these garments for war and boots and bloodied uniforms, what's Isaiah communicating? That now we're going to take all these military garb and we're going to roast them. We're going to burn them. Why? Because we don't need them anymore. Because we don't need to fight anymore. We don't need to try and achieve our own freedom anymore. We can put them all in a bonfire of grace. And friends, God invites every weary and worn-out sinner to a bonfire of his mercy. Toss in your efforts of trying to save yourself. Toss in your good deeds of trying to impress others and think we're earning a better spot with the Father in heaven. Toss it in. You don't need it anymore. Now, we, we have different oppressors than Israel. I, I don't think anyone in this room is worried about Canada invading us. Oklahoma, they're not coming. Our oppressors are not against flesh and blood. We wage war against the spiritual forces of evil over this present darkness. You may have sins and addictions that trap you. You may have a past that haunts you this morning. Your boots of war might be ways you've fought for meaning in your life and they made you walk home defeated. You tried to find significance in your looks, in your house, and that relationship. If I could just get that relationship, then I'll be truly happy. If I could get that promotion, if I could get that better education, all of these kinds of things, God says, friend, throw them all in the fire pit. Let's burn them. You don't need them anymore. I will give you everything you need for your joy to rise. You can't fight and grit and battle and claw and scratch your way into victory over sin, Satan, and death. It'll only come through this bright, shining light. It'll only come through God's grace. And that's why in verse 3, did you notice all the yous in verse 3? Look at who's doing all of the increasing and who's doing all of the work. You have multiplied the nation. You, talking to Yahweh, to the Lord, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at harvest. God's going to do it all. Joy is found in the working of God. I, I think sometimes we, we think about our lives changing and how can I experience new life and, and how could things um, really make a turn, turn the corner. And 
there's two options we face. It's almost like God is saying, okay, how are we going to burn this, Jeff? How are we going to do this? And he says, I have a flamethrower. I'm ready. What are you bringing, Metters? What do you have? I have some soggy matches, two soggy matches. Is this enough? And I think Jesus just goes, you're adorable. I'll do the work. I'll burn it right here for you and set you free. So have you been to God's bonfire of grace? Have you walked in that initial step of repentance, of of turning from what you're in and now trusting totally the work of Christ, totally in his death and resurrection, and totally in his love? That's the only way joy arrives. That's why Isaiah says at the end of verse 5, as in the day of Midian. Now, the day of Midian is incredible. It's in the book of Judges. It's, you may know the name Gideon. He's getting ready to go to war, and he's got a huge army. He's like, I'm ready, God. I got the troops. Let's go. And God says, eh, army's a little too big. Let's make it a little smaller. Okay, God, we, we can knock out some of the snipers, and we can take away some of these things. We don't need them. Okay, God, how about this? No, your army's still too big. All right, Lord, we can make it a little smaller. He whittles it down to 300 men. Okay, Lord, is this it? Perfect. Because I want you to know, Gideon, I will deliver you. It will not be your strength. And right now, friends, the Lord is telling us at Christmas, how about a baby to set you free? Is that humble and lowly enough? Will you, are you willing to stoop yourself low enough to put all of your expectations on a baby? That's the reason for joy. That's where, that's where Isaiah takes us in verse 6 and 7. So look, all this battle, all this darkness, all this glue is going to be burned. How? Verse 6. For, that's the answer. How? Why? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. I love this. A child. The answer to all of our darkness isn't Grogu, isn't the child from the Mandalorian, this other child to where all of your distress, all of your oppression, all of your pain, I mean, do you feel the magnitude and the oddity, the, we could use the word foolishness almost, of the gospel that's being communicated here? All the pain in your life, all of the distress, all of the gloom, all of the diseases, the oppression. You know, God says, how are we going to get rid of this? A baby. That's God's plan. Have no one, you have never thought this way. You know what could really help me unclog this toilet? Let's get the newborn. Where, where's, where's Timmy? Bring him in here. Even though he doesn't have like a full skeleton yet, he's going to help me unclog this, this toilet. He doesn't even have kneecaps, but he could help me. Man, we're having this crisis at work. What are we going to do? I I need to bounce some ideas off somebody. Bring in the toddler. I want to bounce ideas off of him. No, we don't think this way. Because as far as humans go, the baby years are the least helpful years we have. Except, you know what? Babies have an incredible gift built into them. They can get you out of anything that you don't want to go to. Weird in-law gathering coming up. Oh, got a little sniffle. We can't come. But this baby, this child is way different. 
We see it already. Isaiah's front-loading it for us. Look at how different this child is. And he continues, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Notice it doesn't say a government or even just Israel will be on his shoulder. The government, the universe, the world order system, all of it, he will govern. This child is a genius. He can handle the responsibility of the earth on his shoulders. Managing the universe isn't above his pay grade. Because look at how wonderful and how enjoyable Jesus is. Look, look at all these nicknames and qualifications of Christ. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay, we got to pause right here because we live in 21st century Bible Belt. The phrase Wonderful Counselor does not mean Jesus would be the best Pine Cove camp counselor ever. Now, I totally believe Jesus would be the best Pine Cove camp counselor ever. But that's not what Isaiah is telling us. The phrase wonderful counselor is a, is a wartime phrase. That's the context of a lot of this stuff, isn't it? The boots, the bloodied garments. Jesus is the best wartime strategist. Meaning, he has counsel for you that will help you combat and fight the spiritual forces of evil that will help you and teach you how to turn from sin. Not just help you, should I take this job or that job? But to help you walk in holiness. So this Advent, Jesus is still the wonderful counselor for us. Don't doubt his counsel. No matter what we're learning how to engage on social media, no matter what we're hearing from TV and media and all these things for how we should think about this world, Jesus still has a, a counsel for us that the last will be first, that the meek really will inherit the earth, that those who mourn really will be comforted, and that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. And that those who believe in him will never perish. Jesus really still is the wonderful counselor. So we must treat him as such and we must go to him. And we will never be disappointed because he is also what? Mighty God. Now we see how unique this baby is. This is mighty God. He shall be called mighty God. I hope that if a baby's born here at Stonegate in the next month, I hope you don't get a birth announcement that says six pounds, eight ounces, bundle of joy, baby God, mighty God is here. That would be freaky. You don't call a baby mighty God unless this child really is mighty God. And so what we're learning about Jesus here is that he really is very God of very God, as the Nicene Creed teaches us, that he really is light of light, that he is eternal God himself, that Jesus is not just a, a great teacher who got zapped with some God powers at some point in his life, that Jesus is the eternal son of God. He is not God Jr. Jesus is not diet God. Jesus is not the diluted pre-algebra God. He is full strength calculus God. Everything that's true of God is true of Jesus Christ. Whatever is mighty in the Father and in the Spirit is mighty in Jesus. And that's why Isaiah says he'll be the everlasting Father. Now that's not, Isaiah's not trying to communicate Trinitarian doctrine. He's communicating Jesus will care for us 
like an everlasting father. And in the ancient Near East, to have a father, an earthly father that never bails, is a gift. To have a father in the ancient Near East that would be so committed to his family, he would never back away and always be there. It was a gift. And so the Lord is telling us that King Jesus will always care for us, will always be there for us, will always love us and never abandon us. And he is the Prince of Peace. Jesus deals in the kind of peace that never wears out. The kind of peace that can really fortify your life and that make you stable in him. Because Jesus' kingdom, friends, it brings terms of peace wherever it goes. Wherever Jesus goes, he offers terms of peace. He offers shalom. He offers wholeness. He offers completeness. Because Christmas, because Advent really is the message of peace on earth to all men and women, to every nation in Christ the Lord. In this deep, dark time, he tells us right now in verse 7, that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is incredible. And I hope you receive this in the way Isaiah is meant to, to communicate it to us. You hear about people politicizing Christmas. Oh, we're politicizing Christmas. We're making it political. Well, Christmas is political. The gospel is a political message. And here the message is, there is a kingdom that will increase and its government will have no end. That Jesus' kingdom is expanding and moving and that borders mean nothing to Christ's kingdom. It's so encouraging, and I hope it's encouraging to you, that Jesus is not a respecter of borders in this world. That when Iran closed their borders and doesn't let missionaries and Bibles and where the gospel is illegal, Jesus isn't sitting on the throne going, rats, how am I supposed to do work here? They've made it illegal. I can't get my message. No, that's why the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Because the Bible is true. His government, there will be no end. It will increase. Another way. Rome tried to get rid of our religion. Rome tried to get rid of us talking about Jesus Christ. Rome tried to kill off Christianity. You ever run into any Roman soldiers today? Other than on like Halloween or Easter production? You're not just at the Walmart and, oh, there's a Roman soldier. You ever bump into a Christian? We're everywhere. Because the increase of his government will have no end. Christmas is about the cosmic reign of Christ. From Syria to the Sudan, from Canada to Cuba, from comets and quasars and nebula galaxies, and wherever it is that black holes dump all of the stuff that they've pulled in, Jesus says, that's mine, and I reign over it all. And every heart in this room and every heart watching online, Jesus says, I want to reign there. Yeah, I'm going to reign over dirt, but I want to reign over you. 
I'm offering you terms of peace. I'm offering you an opportunity to come out of the darkness of this world, to come out of the cold. And I'm inviting you into my kingdom, not just as a peasant, not just as some kind of servant. I'm inviting you to join the royal family. I'm offering you a seat at the table where you can be a co-heir with me, where you can reign with me, and this can all be yours too. And we can reign together in the new Jerusalem over all of this universe. Will you join me? Because of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Beloved, there is only one government official that will reign forever, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. I love what my friend Ray Orland points out about this verse, that of the increase of his government, there will be no end, and it'll be this time forth and forevermore. Ray points out that with Christ's government, no one will ever have to chant, four more years, four more years. Christ will reign forever. And God loves saving sinners. That's what verse 7, the very last phrase in verse 7. You know why Christmas happened? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Saying, I'm going to save you. God's zeal is why Christmas happened. God's passion to save sinners like us. God is committed to saving every worn out and exhausted sinner that wants to collapse into his arms. He will take you. Are you in his kingdom? Is Jesus your wonderful counselor? Or is he just an advisor? Is Jesus your mighty God? Or is he just kind of a mighty mascot for you? Is Jesus your Prince of Peace? All of this is meant to land right here this morning. How does the joy of Advent actually happen beyond the carols and beyond the wassail and beyond the hot cocoa? How do we have an Advent joy that lasts forevermore? It's in two little words that you may have just glanced over in, in reading. It's in verse 6. Two little words. For us. For us, a child is born. This is the key. To see that, oh, Jesus was born, that's great. That's not enough, beloved. To see he was born for me. That he was given to me. No other baby was born with this kind of expectation. I'm sure there's an expecting mother here at Stonegate. If she were to go into labor this week and post a picture of the cute little baby on Instagram, she may write, our bundle of joy is here. How would you interpret that? You wouldn't think, that's Stonegate's baby. We have claim on that baby. It's ours. No, this isn't a cult, right? It's not a cult. This is a church of the living God. We know what that phrase means when we see it, our bundle of joy. We know immediate family given to them. That's their baby. So great. But Jesus is born with four to us. And the birth announcement there on the hills of Israel to a group of shepherds, what do we hear? For unto you, shepherds, is born this day. And the city of David, 
a baby lying in a manger, Christ the Lord, born to you. The shepherds are like, I don't have a wife. I, I don't know. No, this baby's for you, to save you. And that same birth announcement comes to us every Advent, that unto you, Stonegate, has been born this day in the city of David, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling, cloth, wrapped in swaddling cloths, a Savior. The eternal Son of God came for your sins leaving heaven, and he, he took on a complete human body. I mean, all of divinity, all of his eternality, now put down together into an embryo into Mary's womb. And he takes on blood vessels and skin and hair follicles and a digestive tract and all the goopiness that comes with it. And he was born and he was burped and he was washed and he was wiped. And he grew up and lived a sinless life so that one day, he could march down to Golgotha, to ground zero of our everlasting hope. That he would take our sins on the cross, as Galatians 3.13 tells us, that Christ would redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So Jesus became the cursed one so that you and I could become the blessed ones. And he's changed. He swapped with us the most glorious swap meet that's ever happened of Christ giving us his righteousness, Christ giving us his perfection, and him taking all of our wickedness, him taking our drunkenness, him taking our lust, him taking on our lies, our people-pleasing, our gluttony, our fear of man, our desperate need for approval, our gossip, our materialism, our greed, our drug use. Jesus says, I'll take it all. And he is not repulsed by any sinner in this room. See, we think our sins, that God just holds his nose up at them and then tries to get us close. But in fact, it is those things in our life that Jesus says, Come closer. I'm going to love you so deeply that you will lose these sins. As the early church father, St. Augustine, teaches us that he will come and he will reorder all of our disordered loves. We all walk in here with a bunch of disordered circuits all over the place in our hearts. And Jesus says, I will love you so intensely but I will reorder your heart and reorder your life. If you will believe, given to us, to us. Is he yours? Have you received this Christ child? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I know some of us are going to be tempted to think, he didn't come for me though. You can be in us. This is what's great about the word us. All of us can be in us. It's not for to the people who grew up in a Christian home. For to the people who never did that one thing in college. For the people who didn't commit this kind of sin or, or the, for the people who don't battle with depression or, or for people who don't battle with anxiety or for people who never, and we can fill in the blanks. No, the Bible says us. You can be an us. That's the beautiful reality of Christmas and Christianity. Anyone can be an us. 
throw all away your efforts at trying to save yourself into that bonfire of grace. And just say, Jesus, I am trusting totally in your birth, in your cross, in your resurrection, and your reigning in the heavenly places, and that one day the trumpet will blare and the clouds will be rolled back and you will descend at the second advent. That's what I'm waiting for, Lord. And that's what I want, and let your joy rise. So, friends, let this classic Christmas text warm your heart. Play it every year. Play it often. And I think we'll discover that this, this is where we find a truly wonderful life, of a new life, the forgiven life, the life in Christ. Merry Christmas. Let's pray and enjoy Jesus together. King Jesus, we praise you that when we dwelled in a land of deep darkness, that when we were in gloom and distress, and that when we were lost, a great light has shone. There on the hills of Israel, and here in Midlothian, and even there on our couch at home watching, a light is shining and the darkness has not overcome it. So Lord, we want to have testimony of the light in our lives. And we want this joy to rise from this bright light. So King Jesus, would you shine brightly in us so that we would be little lights of the world as well, letting our light shine before men so they will see the good deeds fueled by this light and give glory to you, Father, who art in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In your Son's name we pray, Father. Amen.